0: Been called one of the greatest races in Olympic history. This past summer at the Tokyo Olympics, it was the 1500 meter race. If you're not familiar with the 1500, it's almost four full laps around the Olympic sized track. The world record holder, a woman from the Netherlands by the name of Safin Hassan, was the clear favorite. And the front runner for the first three laps of the race until the final lap had just begun and a runner in front of her stumbled and fell and Safin Hassan in the orange jersey laying on the track stumbled, rolled, and writhed in pain as the rest of the pack took off to finish the final lap of the race. Imagine, if you will, being the world record holder, the the expected favorite to win, and here you are rolling on the track as the pack takes off in the distance. But I want you to watch what took place just following this fall. awesome or what? I mean, that is the picture of a true champion right there. I mean, I I don't know how you cannot help but cheer for somebody like that, right? I mean, she falters, but yet she gets herself back up and she finishes the race strong. I mean, that's the kind of hero that we want to cheer for. Well, friends, this morning as we continue on in our series in the book of Judges, we return to the story of Samson and we come this morning prepared and anxious to cheer on our own champion, a great new hero of God in the era of the Judges, this man named Samson. As we saw last week, Samson's is a story that begins with tremendous promise. I mean, Samson was clearly a frontrunner I mean, here was a man whose birth was miraculously ordained by God, announced by the angel of the Lord. He, he tells Samson's mother that this barren woman, she's going to conceive a child, that her son is going to be set apart to God Throughout his life, that he would begin to deliver God's people, the Israelites, from their oppression at the hands of the Philistines, that he would be supernaturally inspired by God's spirit. And so again, we we, we come this morning just expecting to see this incredible hero in Samson. But while Samson started out as a front runner in life, as we're gonna see this morning the race he would run was anything but praiseworthy and certainly not one worth emulating. Samson, you see, was the front runner who faltered badly. And yet, in spite of all Samson's shortcomings that we're going to read about here this morning, we're going to discover that God was still at work. You see, God had a plan and purpose for Samson's life. Samson may not be the champion we were hoping for, but we're going to discover that God was still at work in Samson's life to bring about his ultimate victory for the nation of Israel. We're in Judges chapter 14 and 15 this morning. It's an extended period of scripture, but it's some fascinating stuff here as we look at how Samson's life begins to unfold. I want to read these, uh, these chapters for us. And then I want to come back and I want to share some observations from Samson's life, observations that we can learn from, some principles that we can apply to our own situation as followers of God, but also some some warnings that we can apply from Samson's story. Uh, And then we're also going to take a look at the ways that God was faithful through it all. So let's take a look. We're starting in chapter 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah. And at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all your people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him, roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion to pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father and mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion, and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on, eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate but he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. His father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there for so the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, "'Let me now put a riddle to you. "'If you can tell me what it is "'within seven days of the feast and find it out, "'then I will give you 30 linen garments "'and 30 changes of clothes.'" But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, Put your riddle, that we may hear it. And he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day... They said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people and you've not told me what it is. And he said to her, behold, I've not told my father nor my mother. Shall I tell you? She wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted. And on the seventh day he told her, because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day, before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. After some days, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and he caught 300 foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of the tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and to the standing grain as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Atom. Then the Philistines came and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They said, we have come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Atom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, We have come to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, "'With the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men.' As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramath-Lehi, which means the hill of the jawbone. And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, "'You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. Shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised?' And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called en the spring of him who called. It is at Levi to this day. And Samson judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Wow. Not exactly the uh, Sunday school flannel board memories of Samson, is it? You know, it's interesting. If you haven't read Samson's story in a while, it may have surprised you and even shocked you as being different from your memories of Samson in the children's story Bibles that we read. Samson was truly the frontrunner who faltered. He was... A man that God would use, but as we saw today, was a man of despicable character and numerous moral failings. There's some important observations that I want us to glean from Samson's story here in Judges chapters 14 and 15 this morning. Number one, in the story of Samson, we see first where Samson faltered. Where did Samson go wrong? Where did this man who started out with so much promise, where did he go wrong? We see, number one, that Samson faltered in that he flirted with God's boundaries. Our passage opens up in verse 1 of chapter 14 with these words, Samson went down to Timnah. These are the very first recorded actions of Samson as a man. And this isn't a good sign for what's to come. Samson went down to Timnah. Now what's the problem? Well, friends, we need to understand that Timnah was a border town. Timnah was Philistine territory. It was the type of place that God's people were called to avoid, not fraternize. And yet here's Samson wandering into this pagan border town you know friends border towns are really nothing but trouble you you even think about our present day you know you think about you know infamous border regions in our world today you think about our southern border with mexico right i mean what comes to mind when you think of the border towns on our southern border you think of illegal aliens and you think of human trafficking and drug cartels and murders right i mean nothing good you, you, you think of, for example, what's going on over in Ukraine today, and you, you see those maps on the news and, and, and all the fighting in Ukraine, and where is the greatest amount of fighting and turmoil taking place? It's in the border towns. Nothing good happens in the border towns. I mean, for Pete's sake, God put a river between us and Wisconsin. <laughs> Nothing good happens in the borders. And friends, while that's true physically, it's also true spiritually. When we mess around with the borders, the border towns, the places that God has cautioned us against spending time, we can quickly find ourselves in desperate trouble. You see, God has given us his will and plan and guidance for our lives. God said, look, I'm going to give you this land and this is where blessing is found and when you walk faithfully with me in the Areas that I have called you to, that's where you're going to experience life and fullness and abundance. But sadly, just like Samson, too often we stray from the territory God has called us to and we end up flirting with the borders, flirting with the boundaries for our lives. And this flirtation never leads to anything good. And friends, you notice how often we try to justify that flirtation, don't we? Right? Like, well, you know, I, God, I'm still committed to you, but, you know, it's not a big deal. I'm just going to kind of flirt over here in the borderlands a little bit. And we try to justify our flirtations. We say things like, oh, it's just a few dollars. It's just one drink. It's just a quick look. It's just a short hug. Friends, flirting with the boundaries that God has established for us never leads to anything good. You see, we need to be people who flee temptation, not flirt with it. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 echoes this principle. He says there, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation... He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Friends, do you understand there is no temptation that you will ever face in your life that doesn't have a way out? You're not forced to enter through the door of temptation. The door of temptation swings both ways. You can either enter through it or you can flee from it. Some of you guys remember my friend, uh, Dr. Carl Payne, who's spoken here at our church. He's a pastor out in Seattle, Washington, spoke for our Men's Advance a few years ago, spoke at our apologetics conference a number of years back, uh, chaplain for the Seattle Seahawks. Pastor Carl Payne tells the story of a young man who came into his office at church one day and confessed his struggle with pornography and sex addiction. And he said, Dr. Payne, I just don't know what to do. He's like, every day I leave work and I turn right and I drive down the street and every day I pass this adult store. And every time I drive by this adult store, I just feel the temptation and the compulsion. I feel it calling me, luring me. And and I just find myself day after day pulling into the parking lot and falling back into the same sin over and over and over again. Pastor Carl said to this young man, he said, tell me again, which way do you turn when you leave work? He says, why turn right? Carl said, turn left. Turn left. If your temptation is leading you to turn right, turn left. Friends, God always provides a way out of our temptation. We are not forced to pursue the temptations of this world. We do that out of our fleshly, fallen, sinful desires. But God always provides a way out. And so we need to be people who flee from temptation, not people who flirt with it. And Samson should have known this. Samson knew better. Samson had God's word. He had the first five books of Moses. He had the book of Genesis. He knew the story of the patriarch Joseph. He knew the story of Genesis chapter 39 when Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt and he ended up serving in Potiphar's house. Potiphar, the the official, the captain of the guard of the pharaoh. And Potiphar's wife, remember, in Genesis 39, tried to seduce Joseph. And what did Joseph do when she tried to seduce him? Joseph fled. He ran away. He fled that house. Friend, Samson knew that story. But unlike Joseph, Samson didn't run from temptation. Samson reveled in it. And he faltered. The second way we see Samson faltering in our passage this morning is Samson chose his way over God's way. In verse 3, we read Samson's motto, She is right in my eyes. Samson's whole story is the story of a man choosing to do what was right in his eyes and ignoring what God had revealed for him. And friends, is not this the case with sin and rebellion and all the time, right? Like whenever we choose our way over God's way, what are we saying? We're saying we're going to do what is right in our eyes. Not what God has revealed to us as true and good. And the reality is this is the, this is the oldest sin in the book. This is where it all started to go wrong. Remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. What did our enemy Satan, the tempter, do, right? Satan comes into the garden, and he points out to the tree of life that God had said to Adam and Eve, you can have anything in the garden, but don't eat from that tree. And Satan said, did he really say you can't have that tree? Look how good that tree looks. And and then he plucked some of the fruit. He said, did he say you can't eat this fruit? I mean, this looks succulent and delicious. Are you, Ooh, you want to try this fruit? And Adam and Eve, instead of listening to God, they did what was right in their eyes. And they took and ate, and that ushered in the curse, the fall and disease and death into our world. See, friends, whenever we do what is right in our eyes, we're choosing against God's will and his revelation for his people. And Samson, in our passage this morning, he chose to go his way over God's way in three ways. We see it number one where Samson rebelled against God's will for his people. Remember, God had told the Israelites, you're not to have anything to do with the pagan cultures in the land in which I'm bringing you and you're especially not to intermarry with the pagan peoples of the land in which I'm going to give you. In fact, again, Samson would have known this. Exodus chapter 34, before the Israelites entered into the promised land, God told his people, look it, make sure your sons do not get married or intermingle with pagan women. Why? Because their pagan wives will cause them to whore after other gods. God says have nothing to do with the pagan peoples in which you're living, especially not intermingling with them. And don't marry your sons and daughters off to them. By the way, friends, this principle is echoed in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians 6.14 tells us not to be unequally yoked. With an unbeliever. Why? Because what fellowship does light have with darkness? Friends, God gives us this principle because He knows that if we have an unbelieving spouse, that unbelieving spouse is more likely to lead us astray and away from God than vice versa. God takes us very seriously. But Samson says, Forget that. I'm gonna do what's right in my eyes. Secondly, Samson chose his way over God's way and did the godly counsel of his parents. We, we see when Samson tells his dad, hey, go get her for me. Samson, Samson's mom and dad, their very first response was Samson. Wait a minute. Are you, aren't there any women amongst our relatives or amongst, amongst God's people? I mean, why do you have to choose a wife from amongst a pagan, uncircumcised Philistine? Samson's mom and dad knew God's commands. But Samson chose not to listen to the godly counsel of his parents. And in doing that, he broke, again, one of the central commandments of God's word. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, 16, do you know this is the very first command in the Bible that actually comes with a promise? God commands young people, children, to obey their parents, to honor their father and mother. It's the first command in the Bible that comes with a promise that if you do this, it will go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Let me speak a word to you young people here this morning. Do you want to experience God's blessing in your life? Do you want to know abundant life and life to the full? Then listen to your mom and dad. Honor your parents. Trust their guidance because God has given them to you to lead you and guide you and mold you and shape you in his ways for your good. And Deuteronomy goes on. God says later in that same book, Deuteronomy 27, 16, if you don't do this, if you don't listen to your parents, guess what you can expect? Cursing. Cursing. You can experience God's curse upon your life. This is serious business. Honor your father and mother. God gave you godly parents to lead and guide you. But Samson ignored his mom and dad. Samson said, Forget you guys. She's right in my eyes. Thirdly, Samson chose his way over God's way in the fact that he rejected God's call on his life. Remember, we saw last week, Judges 13, God had set Samson apart, called him to be a Nazarite, to to live a life, a morally exemplary life for the people of Israel. He called Samson to be the deliverer of God's people. And yet Samson said to that call on his life from God, forget that. I'm going to do what's right in my eyes. And I'll tell you something, friends. Everything we read, all the depravity, all the wickedness, all the sin that we see in chapters 14 and 15, it was all the result of Samson doing what was right in his eyes. And this was the pattern that he would continue to follow throughout his lifetime, following his own selfish, impulsive lusts and desires, doing what was right in his sight instead of following the revealed will of God for his life. Where did Samson falter? Thirdly, we see that Samson took others down with him. What a tragedy. Here, here's the man who's supposed to deliver Israel, and instead he's taking others down with him. Verse four, 5 through 9 of chapter 14, then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah. So now not only is Samson straying into the boundary areas, into the borderlands where he's not supposed to be, now he's literally bringing his mom and dad with him into the places where God's people weren't supposed to be. His sin inevitably spilled over onto others, as it always does. Have you noticed that in your own experience, friends? The consequences of our sin rarely just stay with us as individuals. More often than not, our sin tends to spill over onto others. You see, see sin, I don't know why, why it works this way, but sin seems to have a gravitational pull. And when we stray from God's will and plan for our lives and rebel against God and we do what's right in our eyes, what happens is is that gravitational pull of sin will either bring others along with us, leading them into sin as well, or our sin will oftentimes cause nothing but pain and heartache and misery for those who love us most. And I bet every single one of us in this room can relate to that reality our sin has consequences. Samson's sin inevitably spilled over onto others. We see this here in the outset of chapter 14. He leads his parents astray, taking them into pagan territory. Then he ends up defiling his parents. Remember, Samson wasn't supposed to mess around with dead carcasses. He was a Nazarite. But here he is, he's he's going to this dead lion, he discovers there's a honeycomb in this dead lion. He shouldn't even be near this dead lion, but he defiles himself, takes this honey, and instead of going to the tabernacle to be cleansed by the priest like he should have as an Israelite, a Jewish man, instead of going to the tabernacle, he takes this defiled honey and gives it to his parents, thereby defiling them. And so now the whole family is stained with sin in God's eyes. And again, sadly, this was simply the beginning of a pattern in Samson's life of his sin affecting others. This this is what chapter 14 and 15 is all about. What What do we see? Samson's sin affecting others. He objectifies women. He's verbally abusive to his wife. He calls her his heifer. He abandons his wife, walks out on her in anger. He committed horrific acts of vengeance, vandalism, murder. He even brought about the murder of his wife and father-in-law. Talk about the consequences of our sins spilling over onto others. See, friends, we need to understand this morning, one of the greatest tragedies of sin is that its consequences are rarely just individual More often than not, our sin ends up hurting those who are closest to us. This is why God tells us in Proverbs 4.23, we need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our hearts. It's so essential, friends. How do we guard our hearts? We keep our eyes on Jesus. We stay rooted in his word. We don't stray into the borderlands that God tells us to avoid. We don't do what's right in our eyes. We do what's right in his eyes. And we stay faithful. That's how you guard your heart from your sin having significant consequences on others around you. But Samson did it all wrong. He was the front runner who faltered. Now, up to this point in Samson's life, we haven't really seen a lot of redemptive value, right? I mean, there's not a lot here that we would look at and say, wow, that's the kind of guy we want to emulate. But friends, I want you to recognize God was still at work in Samson's life. Even in spite of his morally repugnant character and his atrocious actions, God was still at work. And this leads me to point number two. In the story of Samson, we see where God was faithful. How was God faithful here? Well, friends, if you're ever going to understand the story of Samson and the point of the story of Samson... You need to understand verse 4 in chapter 14 this morning. Samson sees this Philistine woman. He tells his mom and dad, I want her. She's right in my eyes. And he's totally disobeying God's will in this. And yet, the narrator of Judges 14 tells us that his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he, God, was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. Friends, did you catch that? God was at work. Even in the midst of Samson's sorry behavior, even in the midst of his rebellion, even in the midst of his sin, even in the midst of his wicked actions, God was at work. And the reality is, through Samson, God was was beginning the process of delivering his people from their accepted subjugation to the Philistines. You remember, we talked about this last week. Israel had simply accepted their oppression They had become thoroughly enmeshed in the paganism around them. They were on the verge of extinction as a people as they had been slowly absorbed into the Philistine culture through their intermarriage with the Philistines. And and we saw it in chapter 15. You know, Samson, what are you doing? Don't you know the Philistines are our rulers? They were totally comfortable in their oppression, in their subjugation. But God was not willing to let that happen to his covenantal people. He wasn't willing to let that happen to the people that he had promised his fidelity to. And so God would use Samson to drive a wedge between the Philistines and the Israelites. That's what this was all about. It was God here who was stirring the pot behind the scenes, using Samson's rebellious acts, his illicit behavior, to plant the seeds of conflict and division between the Philistines and Israelites, a division that the Israelites didn't even realize they needed. But it was God who was doing all this. God was at work here, friends. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute here, Pastor Jason. Are you telling me that God sometimes uses sinful people and wicked actions to accomplish his good and perfect will in this world? Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. And you know something? It's found all throughout the Bible where God works through the freely chosen actions Of sinful and rebellious people to accomplish his eternal plans and purposes for this world and for our lives one of the greatest examples that we see this i mentioned it earlier the story of joseph remember joseph the patriarch he was sold by his brothers human trafficked down to egypt sold into slavery god used his slavery in egypt to elevate joseph to the second highest rank in egypt second only to the pharaoh And in that position, God used Joseph to deliver not only Egypt, but Israel from a massive famine. And God used that to rescue Joseph. His brothers thought they were getting rid of him. They told their father that he had been eaten by a wild animal. He was gone. They thought they were rid of their brother that they were jealous of, but it was God who was at work orchestrating these events. In fact, later, years later, when Joseph's brothers come to Egypt and discover that their brother is now an official of Pharaoh, what does Joseph say to his brothers? He says, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for for many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler of all the land of Egypt. So friends, understand this. Joseph's brothers were freely and morally responsible for selling their brother into slavery. Joseph is very clear on that. You did this. But he's also very clear that it was God at work, sovereignly, in eternity, in the heavens, who was orchestrating all of these things to bring about his plans and purposes for the world. Probably the best example of this is found in the book of Acts when Peter... In his sermon to the men of Jerusalem following Jesus' resurrection and ascension, Peter explains how God sovereignly orchestrated the events of the cross to bring about our salvation, right? Again, friends, history is his story. God's the author. He's writing his story, and we're a part of that unfolding story. Peter says to the men of Jerusalem, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So again, they were responsible. They chose to kill Jesus but it was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And again, friends, we see these realities throughout the Bible. History is his story. God is sovereign. He's writing his plans and purposes for our lives and for the world. We read passages like Ephesians 1, verse 11, where we see that all things work out according to the counsel of God's will. All things according to the counsel of his will we read passages like psalm 139 16 where king david says that all of my days were written in your book before one of them came to be friends god knows all the days of our lives before even one of them came to be now you might be thinking yourself right now well jason what about free will Right? Like, I mean, are we just like robots here? Are we just living out some pre programmed plan? Friends, no. We are free and we make choices and we are morally responsible for those choices. This is a truth revealed in Scripture. It's a truth that's revealed in Scripture the same way the truth of God's sovereignty is revealed in Scripture. And these two truths, our freedom and our moral responsibility and God's sovereignty, are like two chains that ascend into the heavens. And from our human vantage point, we see them as two separate things. But if we could see them from God's eternal vantage point, we would see that they are not two distinct chains, but they're really the same chain, a single chain, linked over the pulley of the sovereign nature and character of God. And friends, if you hang on to one without the other, you're going to fall. But when we hold on to both of them firmly, as God's revealed truth, we are free, we are responsible, God is sovereign, He knows our days. When we hold on to both of these truths, we will hang firm and secure. Now again, there is a sense of mystery in this that I can't fully explain from my finite vantage point but I accept it, and I believe it by faith because God's revealed it. God says that we are free. We have responsibility for our choices. But he is also sovereign, and he has orchestrated all of our days. See, Samson was free and morally responsible, but God was at work through Samson bringing about his plans and purposes for his people. Now, friends, here's what we need to understand. When you have a proper view of God's sovereignty, a a biblical view of our freedom and God's sovereignty, it really leads us to be people of tremendous confidence and hope. How how so? it's, it's, It's true because the truth of God's sovereignty is reassuring, it's exciting, and it's humbling. It's reassuring because, friends, no matter how much of a mess you might think you've made of your life, God is still at work. It's exciting. It's exciting because God is working out his plans and purposes in this world in spite of what we know or see or understand. God is at work. And I'll tell you something, it's really humbling when you begin to recognize that God uses frail and sinful, rebellious people like us to accomplish his good and perfect will and to bring him glory in this world. What a great honor and privilege to know that God is at work through us, friends. See, God is faithful. He was faithful in Samson's story, and he's faithful in each of our stories as well, and we can trust that. Thirdly, this morning, friends, in the story of Samson, we see where we are free. We see where we are free. Samson had been called to deliver Israel. But as we see in our passage this morning, Samson was more in bondage than anyone. I mean, Samson is a slave to his selfish passions. He was ensnared by his sin. And and while he wasn't a Philistine, I mean, this guy acted no different than the Philistines. He was as morally reprehensible as any of them. And I want you to just think and imagine with me for a moment what God could have done through Samson's life with all of his gifts and all of his calling and all of his strength if Samson, instead of rebelling against God's will, had simply submitted to God's will. Just think of what Samson could have accomplished. And yet, when we turn to our story this morning, and at the end of our passage in chapter 15, verse 20, our passage ends telling us that Samson judged Israel for 20 years. But friends, they were wasted years. Because Samson didn't ultimately deliver Israel from their oppression, physically or spiritually. In fact, we're told at the end of chapter 15 that it was still the days of the Philistines. Israel wasn't truly free. Now, some of you here this morning can probably relate to that reality. You go to church. You're basically a good person. You try to set an example for your family and friends. But the truth of the matter is, in your heart, it's still the days of the Philistines. Can you relate to that? A lot of people in their hearts are ruled by their flesh, and their heart's commitment is really to worldly idols, not to God. And I'll tell you something, friends, that's not freedom. If it's still the days of the Philistines in your heart, you're still under bondage. See, Samson's story is a powerful reminder to us that the truest freedom we can experience in this life is in submitting ourselves fully to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And we do that by confessing our sins and enthroning Christ on our hearts. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Friends, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, not to be held in bondage to the false gods and idols of this world. If you're here this morning and you find yourself burdened by a yoke of slavery, if the idols you've been pursuing have failed you, if all the gods who promised you freedom have only brought you greater oppression, then friends, it's time to turn your heart over to Jesus because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And you can do that by confessing your sin and acknowledging your rebellion against God and by saying to him, Lord, I'm tired and done with doing what's right in my eyes, and I'm going to start trusting in your will and perfect plan for my life so that I can walk in freedom. See, Samson might have been the front runner who faltered, but if we learn from Samson's experience and if we come to recognize that true freedom is found by enthroning Christ on our hearts, friends, every single one of us here can lead a life of a front runner, a champion. That's where abundance and life and joy is found, putting Jesus first. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this morning and the opportunity to worship you and to study your word together, to be encouraged by the lessons that we see here in Samson's story. Lord, I pray that we might be people who learn from his mistakes and that we would not falter in the ways that Samson faltered, but that we would keep our eyes on you and our hope in you and our confidence and trust in you, that we would root our lives firmly in the bedrock of your word which leads to life and abundance. Lord, we thank you that you are a sovereign God who orchestrates all the events of our world and our lives, and in that we can have great confidence and hope. And I pray, Lord, that we will hold on to that hope and remember that you are the author of history and that we can trust in you. And, Lord, I pray that we will live faithfully in the freedom that you have called us to. I pray that we will live in such a way, Lord, that we display that freedom to a world that is still trapped in the bondage of idolatry and false gods. Lord, help us point our family and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers, help us point them to Jesus, the one who brings true freedom. We thank you, Jesus, for your amazing grace and your great love for us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. It comes from Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, friends. Have a great week. Hi everybody, Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church, you can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free, and you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests. And we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage. And we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week and we will look forward to seeing you soon.